remarkable people overcoming remarkable challenges with resilience, dedication, community, and grit. Listen as they share their stories of overcoming adversity. Open your eyes to what is genuinely possible for all of us. Authentic Adversity with host Chris Howe. Welcome back to another episode of the Authentic Adversity Podcast. Today, I sit down with a good friend of mine via Instagram. Um, you know, he's a life coach. He's, I've been watching his journey for, oh, I don't know, five or six years now, I would say. And, um, you know, he inspires me daily with his posts. Um, he's, he's quite inspirational. Uh, he's got uh, quite a story. Um, I've seen where he was and where he is today. And I mean, um, my mind is blown every time you post a, a before and after photo. And, um, you know, so I just want to welcome Tim Arrigo. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me on here, Chris. Really? Yeah, man. Uh, it's I mean, as we said before, you know, before we started rolling here, you know, it's um, we've been following each other for a long time. And I, I love these. You know, this podcast has given me a real uh, a nice chance to actually connect face to face, I mean, obviously through a screen, but uh, to actually have a real conversation with people that, you know, I feel social media can be used for so such good things, you know, and, and, you know, channels like yours, uh, where you're inspiring people daily, and um, letting people in on like snippets of your life and, uh, you know, giving back in in such a profound way. I mean, to be able to sit down and, and actually have a, a face-to-face conversation like this is uh, is quite humbling, and uh, it's really my honor to uh, to sit down and chat with you. It's um, it's been it's been really really nice to follow along your journey, and um, there's not too many people that uh, I follow that I actually feel like oh, I know this guy. Like I in in a way, you know, you get to know somebody on a you know accounts like yours are very personal, and you let you let your followers in on very personal parts of your life. And I really appreciate that about you. You're very transparent and, uh, you know, inspiring. And um, I always gather a piece of hope um, to, you know, to carry through my day when I, when I watch one of your posts. So I appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. Likewise, feelings mutual, man. Totally. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, So generally I like to kind of, do a bit of a chronological walkthrough of your life. So, you know, I guess we can kick it off by talking about, uh, you know, what it was like, where you're from, what it was like growing up, uh, what kind of kid you were, what the environment was around you, and uh, take us through your journey. Yeah, so I was uh, raised in Orange County, California. So, uh, like music, surfing, skateboarding, started skateboarding at a really early age and um it was just like my first love affair it was my first addiction was skating yeah and um you know it was during the early 90s so skating the scene back then was a little different you know small wheels baggy clothes um drugs were a part of that scene you know and i grew up i played music i have an older brother um and, you know, I just was always, uh, I was always the creative guy. I was always the guy that wanted to push the limits, man. I was always a risk taker. I was always the guy who wanted to go bigger than everybody. I wanted to, you know, I just had always had that need in me to kind of, I felt like kind of prove myself. And it wasn't until later in my life that I realized just a lot of that was connected to, I think, what a lot of what, what I felt like was missing in my life. 
okay. you know, which was true connection with people. And um, my parents got a divorce uh, when I was like about 13. And my dad, uh, he left. And right around that time, I had already started experimenting. Uh, I was already smoking weed from like 12 years old. I had already ex started experimenting with like, you know, LSD and ecstasy and mushrooms. And so, you know, as soon as that divorce happened, you know, I never, at the time, I, I really didn't have a really good relationship with my older brother. Him and I were kind of, we're like polar opposites. So that relationship with my brother was kind of already fractured. My mom was kind of going through her thing and she was dealing with like a midlife crisis. And my dad was, uh, he was kind of just, you know, heartbroken from the divorce and going through his own stuff. And so I kind of just, it opened up a door for me to kind of go like, dude, no authority. Like I don't have any more rules anymore. Like now I really can do whatever I want. Right. And, um, man, I, that just kind of sent me on a downward spiral from there. I, uh, I went to Catholic school my freshman year. Um, and from that Catholic school, I went to public school, but when I went to public school, I thought it was going to be like a, a reunion with all my friends from middle school, but it turned out like everybody had like new friend groups and stuff. So I was kind of okay. like, just left out again, man. And I kind of just felt like, man, like here I am again, like I can't connect anybody. And mm -hmm. You know, when, when you feel that way, you end up kind of hanging with lower companions. You find the people that you can connect with. And especially if drugs are involved, like you're just, usually it's guys that come from the same dynamic that you do, you know? And so I, um, I went to that public school and got kicked out in like two months and then okay. went to a continuation school. And at the continuation school is when, uh, I was a graffiti writer when I was really young. So I used to like run around on the freeway and climb freeway signs. And like, yeah, you know, I was just like, that was my personality, bro. I was just, I was in, <laughs> like, you know, if I'm not, I gotta be doing something extreme. So when drugs came into the play, it was like, I'm an extreme dude. Like how far are we going to take this? And yes. I started doing speed when I was like 17 and uh, I got addicted to it like immediately. And because speed is a psycho stimulant and stimulates a lot of dopamine. So I got addicted to it really fast and I got, um, I went into a psychosis and I was in that psychosis for like, like a week. And oh wow, I barely okay. came out of the psychosis. Um, and when I came out of the hospital, I went into my first uh, rehab. And it was pretty 17. Much, yeah, 17. Yeah, Sorry. okay. Counting the days, dude, like in that in yeah. that first rehab, just like I remember bum fights just came out. And so I just like watched bum <laughs> fights on rerun. Like, yeah. I just would like, you know, I was in this house like with a bunch of old dudes, and I was like, man, I can't relate to any of this. And I the counselor was taking kind of like a hard, a tough love approach with me, which really didn't work because I was really anti-authority already. Right. So, and you know, music, punk rock, kind of everything went hand in hand with that. So yeah, I, um, came out of that, that rehab and then decided I wasn't going to touch speed anymore. So I started doing pills and some guys that I grew up with in my neighborhood, um, had some connections and started moving like some really like big amounts of, of pills and other drugs. And I got sucked in, man. And 
I was really my need for validation, bro. Like, yeah, you know, I can relate to that 100%. I, I just felt like it was always like I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to get these guys to like me. And like, I was really blown away that like people would want to connect with me and want to spend time with me. And like, I felt like I lacked that from, you know, the men in my life so much that I felt like when I finally got that, I was like, I don't want to lose it. And what do I got to do to keep it? So right got addicted to the pills and, you know, in and out of, you know, trying to get my life together and never really having a sense of purpose, you know, dead end jobs. And just, I don't want to work at Ralph's, you know, for the rest of my life as a bag boy. And like, what am I going to right. do? And so just kind of like floating through life, man, as a young mm -hmm. kid. And that was when I, uh, I got it. I had a knee surgery. I blew my knee out skateboarding and, uh, I got a, a knee surgery on my ACL and I got okay. prescribed um, some Oxycontin and this was at like the height of the Oxycontin epidemic. And dude, I started doctor shopping and I started going nuts with the oxys. And yeah. one day somebody told me, Hey man, like you could sell one of those pills for $40 and you could just use heroin. Right. And, uh, and then first time I did heroin, I shot it, I shot dope and it was over, bro. Like I was, yeah started shooting dope. And then within a year I had a needle in my neck in a Starbucks bathroom and, yeah. that, was my life. and that was my life for the next seven years was okay. IV drug use, um, hepatitis C psych psychiatric stays, um, indigent facilities, completely disconnected from my family, um, totally emaciated and, yeah. uh, a broken human being, man. And just, yeah. And you know, the worst part is like, you know, when you have greatness in you, you know, when you have gifts and you, but you right. don't know how to access them. Yeah. You know, it seems and, impossible at that time, especially with the dope and, you know, everything else going around us. When, when you're so entrenched in that lifestyle, you don't know anything else. And it's like, you know, that there's something else out there, but you, there's no way to access it. There's no way to kind of claw your way out of the hole that you've dug for yourself right i've been exactly in that in that same place and yeah geez i know exactly how that feels and it's uh it's quite hopeless yeah it was it yeah. was a really desperate place man and mm -hmm. i i went to some really dark places you know like and just people i was with and things that i saw and just things that i went through and experienced like it was just you know that 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 life when you're out of that life, it's like people would never even know that that stuff goes on. But like, you know, when you're in that life, it's amazing what like there's this whole underworld of people who are involved in just dark stuff, man. And you get caught in that. And there's a spiritual element to that. There's a the spiritual element is just darkness, man, all around you. And you're in spiritual yeah. darkness. You're in bondage. So yeah, that was pretty much my life. I got diagnosed with hepatitis C and I was on uh, methadone at the time and I was on Xanax and uh, I went to uh, the hot, I, I basically was trying to get methadone and uh, there was something wrong with the factory. So they had like some type of issue at the factory where they weren't pressing the pills. Okay. So there was like a, a recall of the pills. So I couldn't get them anywhere. And I came home and I was just laying on my bed and I was kind of staring through the crack in the door, like between the door frame. And I've just kind of had an out of body experience for like three seconds. Right. And I kind of just felt this crazy peace come over me. Hmm. And I kind of came back into my body and I was like, whoa, what was that? Was that my life? And then 
I just, I heard a voice in my head and it was my voice, you know, it was people say you hear the voice of God, but it was like my voice. And it said, right. This whole time you thought you were in control, but really you're just a slave. Yeah. Wow. And I sat up in my bed and I like almost had a panic attack. Cause like my whole life, I did think that I was in control. Like I never really believed that like I wasn't in control. I was like, Oh, I take sure. these drugs when I want, like I can stop when I want. Like, and it sounds so cliche, but for me at the time, it was a really big realization. And I'm like, dude, how much cognitive dissonance do you have? You have hepatitis C, but you're still doing the stuff that gave you the hepatitis C and you're trying to treat your hepatitis C, but you're still doing the stuff that gave you the hepatitis C. Yeah. It was just, that was the insanity <laughs> of my life was like, how insane mm -hmm. are you? And so I had that moment of clarity and I decided I want to get off everything. So I went to the hospital and I told them, hey, you know, I need to detox. And I said, sure, no problem. And what do you want? I said, I'm on interferon. I'm on pegylated interferon and I'm on methadone and I'm on Xanax. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. they took back the clipboard. <laughs> they're like, sorry. They're like, sorry. Uh, really? Yeah, we're not detoxing anybody off of methadone, number one. And number two, you're on interferon. Like right. the risk of you dying while detoxing is extremely high because interferon is like chemotherapy. Yes. Yeah. Like, it'll break you off. Like they don't even right. use that therapy anymore because it's so, a lot of people get suicidal. Barely half the people don't even finish it. So right, right. half the time it doesn't even work. Yeah. And your genotype. So I went back to my, I was walking out of the parking lot really defeated and this guy followed me outside and God bless this guy. He followed me outside and he goes, Hey man, we can't help you, but this guy can. And he okay. gave me uh, the number to a doctor and I called the doctor. I got some medications and I ended up just doing a grassroots detox on my house, which was the by far most brutal, arduous, painful experience of my life. And three days into it in my boxers, sleepless, disoriented, just yeah. totally out of my mind. I just hit my knees and I threw up my hands. I just said, God, if you're real, kill me. I said, you can take my life. You can do yeah. whatever you want with me. I said, you can, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. But if you're wow. really real, take it. It's yours. I'm done. I throw in the yeah. towel on me. Tim is dead. You can have me. Wow. And boom, dude, instantly my life was changed, bro. Like instantly. So the Tim Arigo that was, was no longer. He died. Yeah. Wow. He died. Yeah. I came out of that detox and I really just realized like, I just did something that I didn't even think was possible. Yeah. And wow. it blew my mind. And that was really the first step for me. That is quite a spiritual experience. And like, I mean, people talk about that moment. I mean, some of us have that moment of realization and, it, and it's so profound. Some of us have it, you know, over time and, and you look back and you realize, but that is quite profound. And it was one of those experiences of like every day, I felt like there was a Doc Martin just like crushing my rib, ribs and my heart. And I just yeah. crippled by anxiety. And I'm like, I think I'm going to die doing this detox. And like, I just kept pushing through and pushing through and pushing through and pushing through. And like, I just was like, I got to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. You know, I think that's why a lot of times like rehab doesn't work for people is because mm -hmm. it's not painful enough. You know, yeah. like, you really got it's too go comfortable. Yeah, it's too comfortable. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to kick. I got to have my Suboxone, my comfort meds. It's like, dude, it, try to make it really bad. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. saying, you know, like push the limit of what you can take. Like, I'm talking real, make it really painful because that in and of itself is adversity. That detox is a, is a, is a form of adversity. If you can make it difficult and overcome yeah. it, that's like your first 
victory. You know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. This comfortable just detox where I'm kicking back in a massage at some right. rehab and I'm getting all my comfort meds and I'm complaining because my feet hurt. It's like, well, is it, are you really going to appreciate it? Right. It's not hard enough. And you, you'll, if you make it as hard as humanly possible, you're never going to want to do that again. Yeah. That, that makes relapse very scary because you think there's no way I can live through that detox again. And that's the way it was for me too. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't go, I didn't go to a, you know, go to an inpatient facility. I, same as you, uh, I kicked at home in my boxers the same. And so I can totally relate to, to those feelings. And, and I mean, that's exactly how it feels. Like you're, you're somebody standing on your throat, crushing it for two weeks. And, you know, and it's, and there is not, there's not one fiber of my being that wants to experience that even for a second again in my life. And, you know, that, that experience alone is something that I know that I can always come back to. And, and, you know, if the thought of it, if using or, or, you know, going back and, and, and relapsing in some form ever crosses my mind, I can remember those days and there's no way, there is no way I have another detox in me. Uh, so that means I don't have another drink or drug in me. And there were so many times where like, where I had kicked and gone through and, but it, like nothing was like that detox, you know, it's like you have yeah. one and it just, that one was, it was, it was the, it was really the interferon, which was bad enough. Like there was times where I'd go to band practice and just like lay on the ground because I was so fatigued and, you know, I would just sit on my bed and just stare at the wall, open the fridge, didn't even have the energy to make a sandwich. Like I would just stare into the fridge and like that on top of a methadone and Xanax detox, you know, which Xanax is like only, you know, one of the two drugs that you can die on alcohol and Xanax are like really off either of those. You could have a seizure and die. So that experience just, it literally turned me inside out, man. And then it was almost like a light went off in me where I immediately was like, man, I got to like help people. Okay. I got to, I got to help people. And instantly in the first 30 days, I started looking for a job in treatment. Oh, is that right? Wow. I got a job on the night shift and uh, it was my first, my first job in treatment. And they put me at a house and. So it was about my second week on the job. And, uh, you know, I was new. I kind of felt like, man, you know, like I'm new. I'm trying to learn the ropes. And I showed up to work one night at about 1150, right before my graveyard shift. And there was a guy that was outside on the, on the curb and he had his bags, like a trash bag with him. And, and right. I, uh, I walked in the office. I said, hey, what's up with that guy out front? And they're like, oh, that guy? F that dude. And I'm like, okay wait, what? I'm like, I thought we were helping people. Like we talking about F that guy. And they're like, dude, we've tried to talk to that guy for the last 24 hours. He's not going anywhere. He wants to leave. He's not hearing it, dude. He's dude, right. the owner has been over here. Everyone's talked to him. He does. He's leaving. So I said, well, can I talk to him? And they said, bro, you're wasting your, your air. Go ahead. Go, tr- go talk to him. Mm-hmm. I just went outside. And at the time I still smoked. So I got out a cigarette, and, you know, gave him one. We had a cigarette together. And I just talked to him. I didn't yeah. even say anything profound, man. And I just related to him and I empathized with him. And an hour later, he was walking with his bags past the window. And they're like, what'd you say to him? They're like, jaws dropped. They're like, what'd you say to him? <laughs> I didn't really say much. I go, I just, I don't know what I said. And Well, you treated him like a human being. Yeah. And you talk, you, you talk to him just like one addict talking to another, right? I that mean, was it. And, yeah. and 
the next day I came back to work and he was waiting for me outside and uh, he had tears in his eyes and he was like, Hey man, like, thank you for what you did last night. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. He said, thanks man. Thanks for what you did last night. And I walked inside and I kind of stared at the wall when I got inside the office and I was on the graveyard ship by myself. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm staring at the wall and I'm like, and I felt high. Okay. And I was like, this feels really good. I'm like, I can't remember the last time that like I've made a difference in someone's life in a positive way. Sure. And I immediately just said to myself, like, I want to do that again. And then yep. the thought that followed that thought was, well, if you want to give more, you need to be more. Okay. Yeah. So then I was like, it just inspired me to like, okay, I got to be better. Like I got to be smarter. I got to be a better communicator. I got to be in better shape. Like I, I want to improve who I am so I can give more to people. Because if I have more answers and more solutions, then like yes. I could really help more people. For sure. And so that my whole personal development journey was really based on like providing value to people because that's really where I found my purpose was like, yeah helping somebody did so much for me that it was like, I couldn't believe the power of that reciprocity. That experience was just so powerful. So I was just like, man, I just want to, I want to just do this for a living. I want to make my whole life around this. And um, yeah, so that experience was really what set me on course for like, how can I help more people? You know, like, yeah, I, I want to do more for people. I just want to, um, I want to be a better version of me for people in my life that are going to be put in my path to help. You know? For sure. Isn't it funny that how, how that happens to us in recovery, right? Like we start to realize that uh, giving back and helping another person, I mean, it adds value to our lives sometimes more than it might to theirs. Right. And, you know, and we come from a place where we're, we think we have zero value. Well, we're, we're, we feel worthless in active addiction, right? And when we're able to, to make a tangible change in somebody else's life, it's like, oh my goodness, I had a part in that. How good does that feel? This is, this makes my life feel worthwhile all of a sudden. And, and I mean, like we're addicts, we, it feels good. We want more of that, right? <laughs> we want to help more people. Yeah. We want to, yeah. Yeah. I know for myself, when I came into the rooms of recovery and people started talking about, you know, helping others and, and they, they tried to explain what, what that would give back. I was in a place where I couldn't understand that. I was so selfish and self-centered. There was no way that I could uh, fathom e either having, a, having enough in me that I could give worthwhile attention to somebody or, or give back in any way. Um, and also, I couldn't fathom that that would give me back anything that that would make me feel so good. And I mean, and then when I started to do it, it was like, oh my God, I, I pushed back on it for so long. And then, and all these old guys in the rooms were always telling me, no, you got to help somebody else. That's when the change happens. You know, you're not, you're not fully in this program until you start giving back. Um, and uh, I mean, at the time I was, I was in the 12 step rooms, right? So, uh, you know, I'd go through my steps and then I'd get stuck. A lot of people get stuck in the early steps, but I would get stuck in the giving back piece. And I was reluctant for so long because I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe that I could and that I had anything worthwhile to give. And um, when I started just doing what you just explained, like speaking one addict to another um, and treating somebody else the way I would like to be treated and um, looking for 
pieces of relatability in some of the newcomers and that sort of thing. It was like, oh my God, the light bulb went off for me. That's what they're talking about. That's the feeling that they that they that they're always chasing now. And yeah, that was the same thing for me. I wanted more of it, you know. And uh, it's hard to understand uh, for somebody who hasn't been through that process or who hasn't, uh, you know, isn't maybe in uh, in the recovery realm, kind of how the how the addict in recovery goes through that process and and sort of regenerates from nothing, right? Um, it's something that drives me every day. And and it sounds like it's the same for you. Yeah, it's a. I think I think that for people who have been through the bottom of the bottom, rock bottom, mm-hmm. I think that the experience of like watching somebody else go through that and someone like living vicariously through that is like very powerful. You know, I tell guys yeah. all the time, like you know, they're like, oh, I. I still want to get high or I still want to get drunk. And I'm like, dude, you want to get high? Like try going to your mom's house 30 days sober. And when she asks you, you know, Hey son, do you have everything you need? You say, mom, I got everything I need right here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, son, do you, you know, can I do anything for you? And you're like, no, can I do something for you? Right. And you drive away and you're high, you're high on pride <laughs> and self-respect. Absolutely. You, you see that guy for, he got a year, his family comes to you and they say, you know, thank you so much for what you've done and what you, and it's like, and you're high, you know, he's, you're at the podium, you get your first year, you're at the podium. And, you know, I'd like to thank everybody. Most importantly, I'd like to thank God. And, you know, you, you go up to somebody else who's new and you, you share your experience with them. And then inevitably, like you, you drive away and you're high, you're at the park and your kids are crawling all over you, calling you dad and telling you that they love you. And you got tears of gratitude coming underneath your sunglasses. And it's like, you're high. Yeah. You're higher than you've ever been. And you're, it's not cut with anything. It's completely free. <laughs> it's free. Yeah. There's no come down. And it's like, yeah. and, and you don't even have to take anything. You just give it away. You know, and that's it. Just, yeah. It's just amazing to me that, you know, uh, that that would have been, you know, that that would have been the solution for me. I always thought the solution was on the outside, you know, mm. it was always in the, in the, in the material you know, in the, in, and it's really not. And that's why, um, so my career kind of evolved over the years from, you know, I had run outdoor programs with men where I used to take men out into, uh, we used to go camping and I used to do like some really deep, you know, like just introspective work out, you know, with no cell phones, no nothing, just men getting real with each other right. and getting vulnerable. Cause vulnerability for us as men is so important, man. Like we have to, you get to a certain point where you realize you can't solve the problem you're in with the same mindset that created the problem, you know, and yes. it's like, I need to know. And it, that's, it's humbling, but it's also one of the most powerful experiences to say, Hey, look, man, I need help. Like, and you obviously have it figured out, bro. Like, what do I not know yet? It's like, Oh yeah, bro, check it out. Like, let me show you some stuff that I didn't know either. Yeah. And it's like, Oh wow. Okay. So I'm not the first guy to blaze this trail. Like there are, men before me that I can learn from. So as my career evolved, I got really, really um, obsessed with understanding the brain psychology, why people do the things they do, how adversity shapes us in both a positive and negative way. And, you know, how we develop post-traumatic growth, how we develop resilience, like how do we, because, because from a lot of our pain comes a lot of power, right? Especially having overcome it. It's like for you, you know, the training, 
like the stuff that you do now, it's like that's that same grit and that same element of perseverance that was sure. forged in the fire of your struggle is really something now in your life that you can put into so many positive things. You know, how do I be a better father? How do I be a better right. husband? You know, how do I treat people better? Like, and being, it's so amazing, like that persistence. And I think that's what sometimes people who struggle don't realize is it's like, yeah, you're struggling, but like, you're not giving up and you're still developing endurance, long suffering, fortitude. Like you're still developing these great qualities amidst your struggle. And all of that can be utilized in a very powerful way. Like I said, I was a very obsessive guy, like, you know, right. impulsive, you know, just uh, mind wandering a thousand miles an hour. But that's a lot of like my genius. That's a lot of my creativity. That's a lot of what makes things work for me now in my business when I help people. So um, I really got just really interested in like why people do the things they do, human behavior. And so I started working specifically with families. Okay. So like the, the family members of people that are struggling and specifically like men that are married, you know, right. married men who are struggling with whether it's some type of vice, because it's all the same, man. Addiction is addiction, you know, vices are vices for sure. You know, and it's like, so really helping men because the, the, our children are really our future, man. And so it's like, there's so many men that are struggling in silence and maybe succeeding in a lot of areas, but that, that one area of their relationships really struggles, mm -hmm. and mainly because they can't have a healthy relationship with themselves, you know, or they can, but just haven't chose to. So right. um, that's become a big passion of mine over the last probably six years is really okay. working mainly. I've always worked mainly with, you know, primarily with men, but really working mainly with, really married men who are struggling with self-doubt, procrastination, and really their ability to connect and to downshift um, from this kind of like, even addicted to work, you know, you're, how many guys are addicted to work and, right. you know, society calls you a success, you know, and it's like when you're addicted yeah. to work and your family's miserable, man. So it's, I think, uh, I think the way we look at addiction in this society is, really backwards. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I know uh, there's a lot of things that people get addicted to and they, you know, they're, they're, they're almost rewarded or awarded for that. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's like now, well, you know, I'm, I'm successful. I'm making money. I'm doing this. This is, this is my job. I'm providing for the family, but can't figure it out. I'm at work more than I'm at home. I'm giving all my attention to work. I'm married to my phone. Uh, why won't my kid look at me the same way that he used to? Or why why is my wife not interested in spending any time with me anymore? Because I'm not present. I'm not available for her or him as, a, you know, uh, our kids, our wives, our partners. Um, I see it all the time. Um, and and I've been I've been very guilty of that myself, even in recovery, you know, like getting too involved in certain things that are it, it could even be training. And I I'm I kind of paint it with this well it's it's healthy it's for my it's for my recovery you know i have to keep a healthy body healthy mind but i'm spinning out of control if i don't train for three hours every day but you know what about the day that i got to go to my kids lacrosse tournament and you know be present for that i can't be spinning out of control i have to be present i have to realize that you know there are certain things in my life that i need to prioritize and the people under my roof 
our number one, mm-hmm. uh, myself included. And so if I'm if I'm going overboard in any part of my life, I have to realize that that means I'm taking away from them. Yeah, and I think that's like the hardest part as men because we're so used to providing, you know, like achieving. You know, yeah. a lot of us grew up with performance based love. It's like you know, love something I got to work for. It's something I got to you know earn, prove I deserve. You know, mm-hmm. and just having love just. It's like, man, I remember even, you know, with my wife and my family, like my, my daughter, when she was first born, I went on this meditation retreat and we did 12 hours of meditation. And in like the 10th hour, I was just sitting there with quiet and quiet with myself. My mind was completely like, just in, I've never experienced this state of just Zen, I guess you call it. And this just realization came to me that I'm capable of loving people on a deeper level. Right. But I'm afraid to lose them. Okay. And, and so I realized that like, man, like there's a part of me that maybe through, you know, a lot of my pain that I learned to kind of, there's that part of me where it's like, uh, I could always go deeper, but there's that fear of like loss, disconnection, because I think that's just what was such a part of my life for so long that there was maybe that fear, you know, whether it was relationships that ended, you know, family dynamics, if it was, you know, um, relationships I had um, earlier in life or just losing people. I I lost, man, all my friends died. Yeah. All, you know, all the guys I grew up with, nearly, literally all of them. Um, And especially all the guys that I got loaded with are all dead or in prison, you know, most of them them were deceased. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, um, that's why I'm so big into like helping men understand and, and develop a, a, a level of self-awareness, you know, like remove your ego, man. Like, right. Look in yourself and just, it's okay. Like be honest, you know, like yeah. as, as men, like we have to put on this, there's a time for violence, you know, come after me or my family physically. Yeah. It's like, there's a time for violence, but there's also, and there's a time for stoicism. And there's a time for empathy and there's a time for like vulnerability, but there's, you can't just be one dimensional, man. You know, there's a time for these things like, like start to realize that you, you can't be the same guy in your home that you are at work. You know, like you, you have to change and shift gears. And I think that for a lot of men, it's very hard for them to do that. It's hard for them to shift gears into that. Like, okay. I'm not at work. Like I'm not fixing problems here. I'm just like, I'm available. I'm present. And now as men, yeah. we don't fix the issue. It's like your wife <laughs> come with you and you're like, you're like, Hey, this is how you solve it. Have you tried this? And it's like, Oh my God. Wants to know you care, you know? Like, yeah. Oh my, I, you know, I have this conversation with my wife all the time, right? She's an amazing woman, strong, uh, successful, talented, beautiful, the whole package. Right. And when she has, you know, she, of course, we got an eight year old at home, there's always going to be chaos in the house. And, um, you know, when she's, she's having her moments, I'm that way. I'm like, okay, let's, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to do A, B, C, and D. And then the problem is solved. This is all we need to do. And she's looking at me like, I just want to hug. Really, I just need you to hug me. I don't want a solution. I'm not looking for a solution. I want connection. And um, I'm learning, I'm slowly learning that, um, I'm not here to solve anybody's problems. I'm, you know, I'm here to be compassionate and empathetic and present. Right. And, and that's the most important. 
That's absolutely the most important, man. And you, you can only give away what you truly have. And I think there has to be a degree of, I always tell people, you can't defeat what you can't define. You know, okay. you can't conquer what you don't confront. And it's like, how many men that I've worked with over the years who have had some type of adversity that's taken place in their life that they've buried and dismissed as having any validity as to why they, you know, any reason as to why they behave the way they do. It's like, man, your behavior right. says everything about you. It's like, it says everything about how you think and feel about where you're at. It's like, is it safe to say there's some stuff that you've buried and like, you know, normally and suppressed as most men do with that stuff? You know, it's in, in nine times out of 10, there is, you know, there's stuff in a guy's life that he's discredited, you know, and he looks at it and goes, wow, you know, I, and even just some stuff where it's like, I've never told anybody this and you, you dump that. And I tell guys all the time, you know, where there's empathy, shame struggles to exist, you know? Yes. So you're shameful about something and, and you open up with it, open up about it. You know, if I'm shameful about something and I open up with you about it, you know, you're going to go, okay. You know, I've been there, dude, and it's all good. You know, I've come sure. through that or I've experienced it or I know how that feels. And it's like the shame that I felt about how you were going to judge me for that is significantly reduced by the empathy that you offer me. And I think that's what's so important in men's mental health is like we have to. It's like understand that you can't you can't just like have this mentality of like you know, just push through it and stop, you know, stop being weak and all that. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not an excuse. It's a reason. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not using it as an excuse. It's like, I'm not blaming these things I've been through. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding them as a cause and effect to why I do what I do now. And that's called maturity. I think it's pretty immature to suppress how you feel. It's like, if we're right. called to be emotionally mature. It's like, then that means I need to develop control over what I feel and discipline over what I feel, but also be able to explain it and understand it and be able to understand like what got me to where I was at, right? It wasn't right. just the drugs. It wasn't just these issues that I had. Those were really the things I was trying to use to solve the issues I had. So what was really going on with me? And nine times out of 10, there's some pain there and there's some stuff we have to uncover. And that's not always easy, but it, it gives you everything. It's liberating. And I think as men, if we can create a culture of like, hey man, don't get it twisted. There's a time for violence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a time for that. And there's, and, and trust me, like don't confuse um, transparency and vulnerability with weakness. Mm -hmm. You know, nah, you know, like so important for men. Yeah. yeah Three-dimensional manhood. It's like, and, and I think it's so important that we see that because, you know, it, it's more than just being a paycheck and providing and, it's so much more. And I think as men in our relationships, most importantly, it's hard because of that relationship. Sometimes we've had with um, men we grew up around or men that, you know, we looked up to false versions of masculinity that we bought into. Um, so I just believe that in being, in being multidimensional and that, that, that for me has been the healthiest thing for me and knowing like, Hey, I don't need to just be, you know, this, one dimensional dude, you know, and that's yeah. how I live my whole life. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a skater. So I'm a skateboarder. It's like, right you now I'm a musician. So I'm a musician. It's like the, my identity was the things I did. It wasn't really who I was. Okay. Because yeah. I really wasn't comfortable owning the fact that, Hey dude, I'm, I'm sensitive. Like I'm a sensitive guy. Like 
if, I, if you put me in a room, like I'm gonna read the room in three seconds, like yeah. And and I I'm I'm a I'm a hyper aware person. I'm you know I have these qualities in me that it's like they didn't serve me very well earlier in my life. So I just yeah. just, just kind of was like, man, I don't need these parts of me, and I kind of cut them out of my life. And I think recovery is like returning back to those parts of you where you kind of like embrace those parts of you, the good, you know, the, the dark parts and the good parts. Cause there's a lot of good parts of us that I think we bury too. You know, like a lot Definitely. of other guys aren't connected with how great they actually are. They're not connected with how amazing they actually are. And they lack confidence because of that. They focus on everything they do wrong. And it's like, man, are, are you connected with your greatness? Are you connected with your potential? Like, are you connected with, who you, who you really are, you know, it's not just about beat yourself down with everything you do wrong. You know, um, if we're going to credit ourselves for everything we do wrong, we better credit ourselves for everything we do right too. Absolutely. Yeah. This episode of the authentic adversity podcast is brought to you and sponsored by another road drug and alcohol treatment center. Another road offers a client centered recovery program tailored to every individual's circumstances. Their focus is to create a supportive healing environment rather than a rigid, rule-based institution. Their dedicated commitment upholds the individual values respecting each person's desire for recovery. Another Road understands that every individual requires a unique and focused approach to their recovery. Certain modalities of treatment are introduced along with the tools necessary for each client. Located in a rural setting, their addiction treatment center for all genders provides the perfect setting for a transformative recovery experience and sense of belonging. The private residential treatment facility offers an unparalleled program with counselors that have in-depth knowledge based on varying years of experience in addiction. Another Road utilizes unique individual focus plans for recovery that address the complexities of drug addiction, alcoholism, and prescription medication misuse. They have a 65% success rate when clients follow their program. I know many people who have completed this program and they have absolutely rave reviews. To learn more, visit anotherroad.ca. I like that. I really love that idea of, the, of being, you know, multidimensional because, um, you know, a lot of men out there and I, I see it. I mean, I work for the fire department here and uh, there's, there's this this typical uh, sort of like toxic male um, bravado around the fire hall that I see a lot of. And these guys, I know that they're, they're sensitive guys. We're all sensitive guys. And, but there is such pushback and such reluctance to open up and share about anything like remotely emotional. And, um, and, and just what you said, it's going to be, it's for fear of being viewed as weak. And we don't, we don't, for some reason, somebody in our past has put that idea in our head, right? That for a man to be vulnerable, to be emotional, to share about how he's feeling equals weakness. And I mean, that's where you get the most freedom. That's where you gain the most strength. And I think a lot of times it just takes one person in that room to open up that way. And then other people can follow suit. And I've seen it at work where, you know, I've opened up about something and, and I've seen a few other guys follow suit and, you know, some guys walk out of the room cause they're not ready to talk about that, that sort of thing, right. An emotional topic or, uh, you know, they're, they're not ready to show their vulnerability, but two or three guys there are, and it kind of opens that door for a dialogue there that is a little more, a little less surface and 
it kind of sets the example in the room that you know what we can we can talk about stuff that's actually going on inside we don't have to be these big macho tough guys you know um faking it faking it through our shift just to just to please each other or what we think might please the guy next to us right like no i'm that doesn't bother me i'm tough i can call you this name i can take this and you know i can take it and dish it out all this and it's bullshit a lot of it is just absolute bullshit and it's a bunch of scared men scared to be themselves I completely agree, you know, because I I know from my experience, you know, that it was just fear. It was fear of, you know, what are people going to think? And it's like, if you ever watch another man do that, I mean, you have nothing but respect because it's not 100%. You know, there's healthy vulnerability and then there's unhealthy vulnerability, you know? Yes. You know, you see guys get vulnerable and they're in their pity party and it's like they're sulking in self-pity and it's like, that's unhealthy vulnerability. You're not really looking for a solution. Right. You're just right. looking for, hey, let me emotionally dump and jump on my victim wagon over here. And and then you have guys yeah. that are honestly struggling, burying it, and it's very hard for them to talk. And they're looking for a solution though when they do it. And there's so much power in that, you know. You're giving and a lot of times you're giving another man permission, like you said. You mm-hmm. know, you're giving another man permission. You're giving him the green light and he's going like, Honestly, I got the same thing going on with me, man. Yeah. Yeah, I've never you're talking to me, man. You're telling my life story. And then you realize it's the guy directly next to you that you've been at the fire hall with for like three years, who's literally had the exact same experience that you did. And it's like, dude, we've been, and then how, what does that do for men? It's like that creates a connection and a brotherhood and a sense of camaraderie that like is only going to forge that relationship so much more. You know, you realize it's like, man, I trust this guy, you know, and I think some of us have opened up with the wrong people before, and then we get wounded. And then we're like, ah, I don't want to open up. I don't want to be, you know, and it's like, dude, you don't have to go open up with the clerk at Seven Eleven. just like, just find people, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> find people you yeah. can connect with, man. Like, who are your people? Who's your tribe? Like, you know, and yeah. find people that are, that are safe people that you trust. It's like, Hey man, I'm and and, and build that relationship, you know, you yes. know, stoke that fire, you know, get that thing going and then, and then start to experience the power of what it's really like to, I mean, dude, nine times out of 10, bro, we think people are judging us. They're not, they're thinking about themselves. They are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're not driving home going, wow. Like what a weak dude Tim is for sharing that. Like, dude, that's not, they're thinking about like, man, how was my share? Like, was that okay? I said, was that good? (laughs) they're like bro that was brave and like i appreciate you doing that man like that meant a lot to me because i could relate to that and i yeah. think uh, giving people permission is, is a really powerful thing and it's not easy to do man especially when you're kind of you're making the decisions that are difficult decisions to be made and you're really defying the norm in terms of what we grow up with and uh you know, I mean, you look at our, you look at our grandfathers and you look at our great grandfathers and you look at the, what they went through and it's like, right. and World War II veterans, my dad's a Vietnam veteran. It's like, you know, yeah. that, that's what we come from. And so at some point in time, we have to see like, yeah, this is a lot of these guys had to do this as a way to survive. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a balance in that, you know, there's a, you have, you know, toxic people say toxic masculinity. It's like, well, you know, you have toxic behaviors and then you have like, you know, there's, 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 there's masculinity and then there's, you know, toxic behaviors, but 
you can't, it's not one thing, you know, toxic right. masculinity. It's like, oh, what, to be strong and to be stoic and to be assertive. And, and no, it's, we just need to return, I think, as men to a place of, again, being multidimensional. And I think, yeah. I think that's the, the really the, the ticket for men in terms of freedom is, and, and we think sometimes like, man, this is going to change me. Like, I'm going to get weak. Like I yeah. even remember, man, in the very beginning, I'll never forget. Like I opened up about some stuff and then I went home and I was like looking in the mirror and I had my shirt off and I'm like standing at the mirror and I'm like, what happened to you, bro? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm like you're soft now and then I was like man you know what like how was that though was that hard dude that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life and it's like so did that make you do you think that made you soft and weak or do you think that that was literally something that is is making you stronger why because all that stuff that I had buried was just holding me down you know it was yeah you know people say you're only as sick as your secrets it's like the stuff that and then you let it go and you're like, wow, like I had this big story in my head about what it was. And it's like, and then something clicks. You realize this thing happened to me. Right. And maybe I had some, you know, shame and guilt about it. And then you share it and you realize that you had a major misperception about your role in it or like what it yeah. meant in your life. And then you get mm -hmm. gives you feedback and you're like, never thought about it like that. I had this jacked up story about what it meant about who I am. And I never even took into consideration what you just told me. And it's like, yeah, wow. like, um, whoa. Sometimes we need that, right? We just need that outside opinion because we're so stuck in that this way of thinking and we run it through this cycle over and over and over again. And we just can't get out of it. Yeah. But somebody's got to stop yeah. us out of it, right? Somebody's got to tell us the truth because yeah. what we're telling ourselves is often a lie. Um, and, uh, and maybe not a lie, but like we're blowing things way out of proportion and they don't need to be most of the time. Yeah. And, and yeah, I've had several people in my life, uh, be that person for me to say like, dude, look what you've turned this situation into, <laughs> like settle it down. This is okay. The same thing happened to me and this is all it is. And then they break it down to me in a way that I've never looked at, or I've never been able to look at from that perspective. and. Um, all of a sudden it makes sense. And yeah. it's like, oh my God, in sharing that, in sharing that, that struggle with somebody else, they were able to shift my perception and have a part in shifting my life moving forward. Cause now I'm not carrying that anymore. Um, it's, it's really, it's really quite amazing to have an experience like that with another man that you trust, right? Like to be able to just say, no, man here's what it is. It's not what you think. And, and oftentimes, like I said, what we think is not, is a, a very twisted view on reality. That's a great point. And I think that guys, they create that story, therefore they suppress it. And then they don't really realize how a lot of the issues that's happened in their relationships, especially their marriages, mm -hmm. it's really it's like, you're not reacting to this person. A lot of times it's connected to that stuff. It's connected to those stories. It's connected to those experiences that you refuse to analyze and look at. And so yeah. it's like you, you know, you you come in, you have like some flowers in your hand and, you know, you walk in and you're late for dinner when your wife says, you know, Hey, you know, why are you late? And you're like, well, I told you I couldn't be home on time. And, you know, you snap back at her and then she says, you know, uh, 
you know, well, I thought we agreed on this. You know, if, if you're going to keep being late for dinner and then you just say, fuck it, you know, I can't do anything right, can I? And then you throw your bags and it's like, well, why did you react? It's like, well, maybe because you felt disrespected or you felt unappreciated or you felt unloved. And maybe that is connected to a past experience of some way that you felt in a previous relationship or previous relationships. Right. And so it's like that, that trigger is really just connected to other experiences. And if you can't be conscious of, if you keep looking in the outside world and thinking the outside world is what is triggering you, you're going to keep reacting to the outside world. It's like, step back, man, look inside yourself and be honest and remove your ego to own and acknowledge like what's going on with you. And if, and if you can do that, it puts you in a position to empathize and understand like, if this is going on with me, well, what's it like for my wife when I come home late? Well, she probably feels right. the exact same way. Yeah. And so I'm not going to take it personal that she snaps back at me. It's like, no, I can empathize, seek to understand. And then I can learn how to apologize without making an excuse, right? I can yes. just say, Hey, I'm yeah. sorry without saying, Hey, I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have said that. It's like, no, Hey, I'm sorry. And and then I can appreciate, hey, I appreciate that you got upset, you know, that I'm, I'm coming home late today, you know, and I know it's important for us to get home on time and me to be here. And I know you're making dinner and you're here with the kids and I appreciate you. Thank you yeah. for calling me out on that. Like, you know, so healthy. That, you know, yeah. It's like, how, how, what is that like in a relationship? It's like in our mind, like, oh, I'm not going to let them win. It's like, oh, that's your ego. Like, oh, I got to prove right. myself. I got to defend myself. I got to be right. And it's like, bro, yeah. you can do that in your business, business, but you can't be doing that in your house. Like, you know, yeah. your wife is not going to be cool with that. And it, you're, it's going to cost you every great relationship you have. A hundred percent. You know, what do you want? You want to have some, you know, the typical quote unquote trophy wife that is just robotic and basically doesn't want anything from you in, connect, in terms of connection and vulnerability. Well, what is it going to be the quality of that relationship? One of your best assets you have is your relationship with your wife. The best yes. asset you have is your relationships. It's like, yeah, you got the asset of your business and, you know, your home. But what about your marriage, your relationships? You know, the ROI yeah. on that is. Right, exactly. And that's your partner. Why are you in a competition? You should never be in competition with your partner, right? Why do you have to win? <laughs> like, why do we have to win? It's like, no, we're we're coexisting. We're not in a competition here. And uh yeah, I, I totally, I can relate to that. Um, personally, I can really relate to that because there's been, you know, my wife and I have moments like that too, where we, both of us, you know, we, yeah. we act out in a certain way, but we have the type of relationship where we can come back to that and say, listen, of course, I was so wrong. I, here's what happened. I reacted. I shouldn't have, I didn't take your feelings into consideration. I didn't, you know, I didn't consider where you were coming from. I just reacted out of, like a knee-jerk reaction. I'm sorry, you didn't deserve that. Then and, and then that opens the door for her to have a conversation with me about how she felt. Then we laugh about it. We go on our day and and our our night is so much better because we had that laugh about it. We had a connection. We learned from it and we know better for next time. That's so great. You know, I love that. Like really yeah. Like take, you know, that that's the power of of conflict resolution of owning your part. And yeah. it's hard when you're not used to, you know, again, back to really being self-aware and having emotional intelligence within yourself. You 
know? Yes. Knowing what, what's, what am I feeling instead of just saying, I feel like crap. It's like, well, I feel bad. It's like, well, what is it exactly that you're feeling? You know, why are you feeling the way you do? And what do you do with those feelings? You know, I think right. you're creating safety and security for your spouse. You're making her feel safe and secure in the relationship. And inevitably, it's like, if you can make humor out of it, it's even better. It's like, you know, and then I, can, I laugh about it. And we don't even realize as men, like, we carry a lot of stuff over the threshold of our door. It's like, man, you're a firefighter. Like, you know, I'm dealing with people's lives. You're dealing with people's lives. Like, well, yeah, yeah. of course. Like, do I carry stuff across the front door? Yeah. So it's like important before I walk in the door, like take a couple deep breaths, you know? Yeah. Yes. You know, remember like, man, you know, sometimes we don't realize there's a lot of pressure from other experiences that like just that one thing can be that domino effect from the day of like all the stuff I have been carrying throughout the day. And, you For know, sure. another piece why it is so important to, you know, constantly be kind of taking a little inventory on ourselves. Okay. How are you doing today? Like, where are you at right now? What's going on with you? How are you feeling? And really check in like, Hey, do I, you know, no, I, I need to go, you know, to the jacuzzi for a little bit afterwards at the, at the club and relax for a minute, you know, or I got, yep. I need to go get a workout in, or I need to go on a run, or I just want to go walk around the block. Like, or I'm going to do some breathing in the room, you know, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go stretch it out upstairs. Like, or I'm going to put on some music and do a little meditation for 10 minutes. It's like yep. stuff that just those little tweaks throughout your day are mm -hmm. so crucial in terms of making you better equipped to deal with those moments. Cause sometimes as men, like we're just, we're just powering through life. Like absolutely like we're just powering through, <laughs> we're just powering through. Right. And then it's like, man, you know, bro, stop. It's like, stop for a second. You can't just power. You're going to dude. you can power through all you want, but like you're going to power through into an early grave rest or rest in peace. Right. right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Rest and recover, bro. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you need to recover, give yourself time. And even if it's 10 minutes, it's like, that's 10 minutes, you know, yep. it's, it's an important 10 minutes. So, and, and I think for us, like a lot of us, we've never really given ourselves time like that. You know, what's that? Even, yeah. What's that look like for me? It's like, you just find stuff that works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's taken a long time to, to kind of cultivate that, you know, that, what does that look like for me? And and actually, my wife helps me with it quite a bit. Like, if she if she feels my energy being a little off, or she like she she calls me on it right away, and she's like, "Oh, you need to go upstairs and do some burpees." Yeah, because that's that for me is my thing, right? Like, that's where I get. Yeah, because well, me too. Like, you you do a hundred burpees, you forget every every problem you've you've had that day. Problem. It's gone, right? Um, so she'll call me on that stuff, or she'll say like. Maybe you need to go do, you know, take a drive, go breathe, listen to listen to an audio book or whatever. Um, and and I can do the same for her now. Um, and, and so we're, we're able to be there for each other that way where because I myself might not. I don't I'll catch it, but I'll catch it too late. I'll realize I need to go do my burpees three minutes after I should have gone up and did my burpees. <laughs> so um, so if she can say, hey, like. Or sometimes it's like, hey, what do you need right now? You know, what do you need? Do you need time? Do you need space? Do you need comfort? You know, just that question. It's like, it really is. It's done. I mean, I can't say enough about my wife and, and what a force she is in my life. Like she, 
I've never experienced connection like I have with her and uh, for her to be able to call call me out on stuff like that or if I get upset about something like sometimes she'll be like oh you think I'm your mom right now don't you or like you you think I you think I'm your mom and uh, you know she'll be able to call me on these things and I'm like oh yeah it, she's right she's right like we just we know each other in a way that she can call me on on my stuff more than I can call her on hers but I'm learning um, but just to have that kind of relationship where it's a symbiotic relationship where you're you're given um, I don't want to say given permission but like given the freedom to to do the things that you need to come back as a better person a better man better husband a better father so if she if she knows that I need space or she can feel it I need to go do some burpees, go for a run, go to the gym, come back and let's have family time. Cause that's when I'm, that's when I'm at my best. And that's when she wants to yeah. be around. I love that because it reminds me of, you know, when I used to show up to facilities and, you know, a guy would be in the backyard, like drinking a monster energy and hitting his vape. Like it's going out of style. Right? <laughs> yeah. He'd come inside and he'd like have some sugary cereal, like a bowl in front of him on the coffee table. And he's in his pajamas He's wearing like, you know, some slippers, you know, and, and, and he's, and I'm going like, Hey bro, like, let's check in. How are you doing? He's like, I have anxiety. And it's like, kidding. check it out, bro. Like you don't have an anxiety problem. You have an understand how, what you put in your body causes anxiety problem. Right. You know, and a lot of guys, I think they try to work through things psychologically that should be worked through physically, physiologically. Yes you know, yeah. biochemically, it's like, like you said, the burpees is a great example. It's like, man, if mm -hmm. throughout the day, like raise your energy, like do some burpees, do some pushups, like, and watch, like, I've never, I've never met a single person in the middle of a run that said they were depressed or anxious no. underneath no. or at the gym saying that they're anxious or depressed. It's like, it doesn't happen. So yeah. a lot of times it's like guys just, they have an inability to understand. I think for us, because of what we've done to our bodies, we understand like how putting stuff in our bodies changes our mood, changes our chemistry, changes our physiology. And uh, we don't really realize like our body is a chemistry set. Like, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a full chemistry set. Like all, all drugs, the drugs that you take, they're just playing on the chemicals that are already, that already preexist. The dopamine, yeah. the oxytocin, the serotonin, the endorphins, the cortisol, the adrenaline, it's all there. It's like, right. So when you go exercise, you're tapping into that. Like, and if you can find modalities to help support that, your body is a machine and a product of chemistry. Like you can tap into that chemistry. You have your own pharmacy readily available to you. It's just going to take action. So like yep. sometimes you just need to like get off your ass and do some action and take a, you know, an effort towards applying your will and strength towards something that is going to give you that that's going to give yeah. you and i think for us we got it for years just so quick and temporary like yeah I just give the guy some money it gives me this thing and i get this euphoric rush that's like better than any experience i would ever experience naturally times a thousand right and like so you develop this mindset of instant gratification and i think a lot of a lot of men fall into the trap of like man go do something physical for five to ten minutes you know, try doing intense exercise for 15 minutes, a HIIT workout, do some paced breathing, do some paired muscle relaxation, right? right. And, and splash some water in your face and tell me that you are still having the same problem. Yeah.
you'll be like, what problem? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, like, what, what yeah. was my issue? Like, I'm good now. And even if it still is a problem, it will still give you a moment of clarity, a moment of to be able to logically think clear, to come back yeah. to the more clear headspace. So I think a lot of guys, they don't have that relationship with their physical body. And I know I didn't have that relationship with my physical body for years. I wasn't yeah. clear about how the foods I ate, the sleep I got, the supplements I took, you know, my hormones, like all that stuff is so important to have in balance. You know, right. guys are talking about, they have all these, you know, a, a lot of these psychological issues when the majority of the time it can be worked through physiologically or physically. Right. Yeah. I love that. Totally agree. Um, so talk to me, Tim, uh, a little bit about um, Beyond Driven. Yeah. P first of all, I want to say I, I love the name as a Pantera fan. <laughs> I love the name. And also, I mean, it, I think it, 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 it really suits, it suits you and your message for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. I love Pantera yeah. too. So yeah. <laughs> Beyond Driven is really about kind of what I was talking about earlier with helping men really understand, like, if you really push yourself, and, and not just physically, but, you know, within, if you really push yourself to go inward and to really mm -hmm. explore, like what's really going on with you, it's, it's really, a, it's a, it's a program that focuses on five key areas of a guy's life. So it focuses on his emotional intelligence, you know, understanding what he's feeling, why he's feeling the way he is and what to do with those feelings. And most importantly, how to develop control over his emotions. Okay. Right. A lot of guys just try to be, they think the goal is to be emotionless. Like, I just don't want to feel this way. It's like, no, develop control over it, understand it, man it, emotion management, physical right. intelligence, what we were just talking about. So understanding your mind-body connection, you know, your triggers, your addictive behaviors, and your relationship with, you know, the way you treat your body, the foods you eat, exercise, sleep, um, you know, all those, the, all those things are a part of your physical intelligence. Mm -hmm. Your self-worth. So really knowing what you're truly worth and, and using boundaries and self-discipline to secure that within your life, right? How do I secure my worth and value? It's like, well, how do you treat yourself, man? Like, how do you talk right. to yourself? Like, you know, and is there other experiences that have happened in your life that have made you feel like you don't have worth mm -hmm. and your spiritual identity? So being free from heavy guilt, free from heavy shame you know, and living authentically in alignment with your life's purpose in alignment right. with your authentic self. Yeah. Um, and then your, your mindset, the empowered mindset, which is really stepping out of the victim narrative, stepping out of your negative mindset, your fixed mindset, and more into a growth mindset, really stepping into a position in your mind where the thought process you have, the way you solve and from, you know, problems in your life, the way you critically think, you know, uh, a lot of issues that we have as men is really our mindset, you know, and we, we it's, it's such a big deal because we've been thinking this way for so long that we haven't even like been able to zoom out and really realize like this is my mindset issue. So in the yeah. program, we really focus on really helping men um, have better relationships with their wife by and and by really eliminating eliminating the self-destructive behaviors in their life by focusing on those five areas. So we do coaching, we do groups. I have curriculum that I teach, and then we have okay. an app that we use. And the app that we use has coping skills, breathing exercises, workouts, community support, messaging with us, um, 
So the whole program is really designed around the inside. It's from the inside out, right? Our whole life yeah. we tried to fix the inside from the outside, but mm-hmm. you can't fix the inside from the outside. You can only fix the inside from the inside. And so right. I think, absolutely. like, I think with the reason that I really developed this program is because it was really out of my frustrations in the clinical setting. So working in the yeah. clinical setting, I saw that men were being given diagnoses. There were they were being prescribed medications, but they weren't being taught like a really healthy, holistic way to heal. And inevitably, like it made me really frustrated. Like I saw like, man, this guy, he does not have like depression. Like, I mean, he, right. yeah, he has the symptoms of depression, but like, don't just give this guy medications. Like I, I, I believe that if we give this guy the proper routine and lifestyle and he does the right work and he has the right tools, he won't be depressed. You know, and so uh, my frustrations in the clinical setting, you know, and also just guys in therapy, you know, even my own experience in therapy was like, all right, I'm going to go to therapy. And I was like really excited, like, I'm going to go to therapy. And then I go to therapy and it was like just talking for the hour. And I'm like, is this what this is supposed to be? Like, oh, maybe it's just my first session. And then it's like talking again. I'm just venting. And I'm like, okay, like this isn't as men, we want to be held accountable. Like we want to get results. Like I need, I want to know the actionable steps that I'm supposed to take, but unfortunately therapists are bound by a code of ethics. So they're not allowed to actually give you instructions in terms of what you're supposed to do or what something is connected to. Their whole goal is to get you to introspect and to come to those realizations on your own. But if you're really stuck, like that's, that may take like three years, you know, Yeah, that's a long time to suffer. And as men, like, we're just like, dude, look, tell me what I need to do. Like, help me solve this now. Like, give me direction. And I think that's really like what we try to focus on is like, let's give you the actionable steps that you need to take today so that you can really start experiencing results. And I believe that the key to life, really doing life successfully is having the right tools and the right people. Mm -hmm. I think it's just as simple as that. If you have the right tools and the right people, right? And you really work on those five areas that I mentioned earlier, your mindset, your spiritual identity, your worth and value, uh, your physical intelligence and your emotional intelligence, what you'll inevitably be able to achieve will blow your mind. You know, you'll just see like, okay, I've just been looking at these problems all wrong. Yeah. And, and I just didn't have the right ingredients really in the right skill set or the right mindset or the right heart set or soul set to really achieve what I'm looking for. And so, um, in the program, we really, we really help men dive deep on the inside and really yeah. be honest with themselves. Um, very similar to what we've already talked about, you know, about that inner work. Um, a lot of the adversity they experienced in their life that they've, you know, buried, whether it's, you know, some sexual abuse that happened or physical abuse or emotional abuse or verbal abuse or, you know, um, other adversity they've gone through and, and, uh, you know, things that have happened in their life and the way those experiences have really shaped them in terms of the way they deal with their emotions now, the way they deal with relationships now, conflict now. And so really helping them design a life that's around, you know, excavation, you know, it's an excavation process. You know, if we, if we show up on an archaeology site, you know, you're not just going to take a backhoe into the ground. Yeah. You know, like you're going to survey the land. They're going to flag off areas they want to dig. And then they're going to, you know, determine, okay, what's the top priority? And then they're going to go, okay, let's dig here. 
Okay. And as they start to dig, you know, they, they don't just keep digging. They are very careful and they dig and sift away dust and debris and they use little tools and little brushes, you know, straws like to blow air away, you know, blow, sift away debris. And they uncover, you know, artifacts, relics from the past, you know, and then they yeah. study those things and they see, you know, hey, what's these, what's the relationship between these things and the things of today? How do they relate to today? You know, and then once they've done that process, they put it on display for other people to learn from. Right. And it's yeah. like, so that's the process that I really help men do is like that archaeology process. And then the envision process, you know, who do you want to be? What do you want to have? You know, what do you need to do? What are the yeah. actual steps that you need to take to live in alignment with the man you want to be? And then the last part is really emerging as that man and and holding yourself brutally and ruthlessly accountable to being that man because yes. inevitably over time the way you help somebody change is you have to change their brain right, right. And how you change their brain is through neuroplasticity synaptic pruning right mm -hmm. neurons that fire together wire together so it's like if i you know guys are stuck because they have neuropathways and synaptic connections that have been formed and forged and are very strong so it's like you have the habit of being yourself. You have a habit right. of the things you do, the ways you think, the behaviors that you engage in. It's hard to break those all at once. So it's like if I gave you a test, right? And I said, hey, here's a, you know, here's some information. I'm going to quiz you on this in an hour. You know, you would try to cram the information and cram the information. And, you know, if I gave you the test, you'd get probably a pretty decent grade, maybe 80%, because all that was in your working memory. It was firing. It was wiring. You were using it, right? Yes. But I'm sure if I came back two weeks later and you didn't review the information at all and I gave you the same test, I mean, we could agree your test score would go down, right? Sure. And that's because yeah. the brain goes off that principle of use it or lose it, okay. right? And the connections that we use frequently in our brain are strengthened while connections that we don't use are pruned away. So it's like if you learn an instrument, the connections aren't there, but then you learn that instrument, you learn that guitar solo. And then what if I take away that guitar, I put it in the closet for five years and I give it back to you? Well, you're yeah. going to be what's called rusty, right? Your muscle memory yes. is not going to be there because those synapses, because you haven't been using them, they've been pruned away. So it's yeah. like, we really want to help guys strengthen and pay attention and be mindful constantly and deliberate and intentional about what you're doing every day and making sure that it's happening every day and that you're pruning away the connections connected to the old self. Okay. Really emerging as this new guy with these new habits and making sure that you're maintaining that because it's easy to keep that for a little while and then you can fall back because those those neural connections really haven't been used, haven't been strengthened enough yet. And that takes yeah. time. For sure, for sure. So Tim, is this program then available to everybody? Um, like if, if I'm in Canada and I want to take part in the program, is it a virtual thing that I can take part in as well? Or do, do I have to be in person? Yep, absolutely. So uh, it's a totally online virtual program. Um, anybody can join. Um, obviously, they have to be qualified and they have to have a problem they're really looking to solve. Okay. And, you know, we're really looking for people that are struggling, that have actual problems that they want to solve. You know, there's always right. two kinds of guys. There's guys that want the, the self-improvement. Like, I just want to be better. And then there's guys like, hey, man, I'm really struggling and I want to improve. So we work okay. with both those types of guys, you know, guys that have problems they want to solve and they want to be better. They want to improve. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the goal of our program. We have a great team. Great, great team. All of our team are all guys 
who have been through major adversity in their life, you know, whether right. it's time in prison, you know, um, or just adversity similar to mine, addiction. Mm -hmm. um, it's all guys who have experienced some level of adversity and personal pain, and they've yeah. turned that into power and strength. And we use that to, as a platform to um, just, man, just help men really work on becoming a better version of who they are and just yeah. achieving their highest potential and, and the greatest expression of who, who, who their authentic self is. I love that. And I think there's so much, um, there's so much to be said for lived experience, right? I mean, if I'm personally, if I'm looking at bettering myself in my life, I want to talk to somebody who's been through the shit. You know, I don't want to, I don't want a book learned person. I mean, that stuff is great. But I want to be able to relate to that person. I want uh, the person who is helping me to to be able to pull from their personal experiences and say, I was there, man. This happened to me. This is how I overcame. Yeah. Um, these are the emotions that were attached to it. And let's work through this together. There's nothing. I think lived experience is is worth so much in in this field. And, uh, you know, I love that. I love that you have a, a team of of people who are you know, just that who have that lived experience and that um, experience through adversity um, and, and that are they've achieved and overcome um, things in life that many people don't, you know, and, and now they're they're on the other side of that, having had that experience and, you know, able to to kind of spread that wealth of knowledge to people that are suffering in some sort. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, to kind of wrap it up, I wanted to to ask you, um, where can people find out more information about uh, the program? If people want to uh, reach out and, uh, you know, maybe follow some of your stuff on social media, um, what kind of plugs do you want to give there? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram at beyond underscore underscore driven. Uh, you can follow me on TikTok at uh, beyond driven. Uh, you can all also find me um, on our website, uh, beyond-driven.com. Um, and yeah, we're also on Facebook as Beyond Driven. So okay, perfect. If you, if you search us, we'll come up. Um, you'll find us on one of those platforms. And I'll put those links there in the show notes as well for people to make it uh, easy to access. Um, yeah, man. Well, I want to I want to personally thank you so much. I mean, uh, you are a wealth of knowledge and experience. And, um, you know, I've learned so much just sitting down for an hour with you like this. Um, and, uh, you know, I always as I said at the beginning, you know, I look forward to seeing your posts every day and, you know, getting that that little piece of motivation and inspiration uh, that you that you so cleverly, uh, you know, put out to the world. I, I love it. You know, it's it's it really I mean, there's times in my day where, you know, I need something like that. And I know that yours is an account that I can just click on, go to something, you know, go to a, a reel and listen to you speak. And it's like, okay, he's speaking my language and I feel better now. I'm a better person. I can move through my day uh, with much more ease. So, you know, yeah. I appreciate you for all you do and everything you stand for, man. Uh, you're truly a miracle. And, uh, you know, I think it's amazing. And I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, it's okay. been an honor and a privilege. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you, man. And uh, yeah, brother, that's just what we're trying to do. You know, it's like giving more, you know, being more so we can give more and really mm -hmm. just trying to offer value to people, you know, even if it's just, it's just 
amazing that like through a piece of content that somebody could extract value like that. And yeah. it's just a beautiful thing, man. And I'm again, like just blessed and fortunate and just humbled by the fact that God has even allowed me, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be in this position that I'm in, you know, and I give all the credit to him. Man. Yeah. Amazing, man. Well, thank you again. And uh, you have yourself an amazing weekend and I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. You too, brother.